Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to our podcast. This episode is brought to you by our dear friends and colleagues over at Risinger Homes. They're an Austin-based, full-service luxury home builder and remodeler, and we've worked with them on many occasions. And Risinger Homes really is a different kind of firm. First, they're focused on building science, which we think is incredibly important. And I encourage you to check out the YouTube channel of their owner, Matt Reisinger. It's at youtube.com backslash user backslash Matt Reisinger. Be sure to subscribe. And secondly, we've seen time and time again how much architects really appreciate the seamless experience of working with a builder who has an in-house architect slash builder. Reisinger Homes has exactly that person. His name's Eric Rouser. So architects, call Risinger Homes early in the design phase of your projects so we can team up with you and your client to build a great home. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome back, everybody. I'm Christoph Irwin, your host of the Building Science Podcast. Today, we're continuing our IEQ series, that's Indoor Environmental Quality, and today's episode is on thermal comfort. I am thrilled to be introducing to you our guest for today, Mr. Robert Bean. Robert is the principal and founder at Indoor Climate Consultants, Inc. He hails out of Calgary, Canada, and there he is a professional licensee in mechanical engineering. That's a PLNG. He's also a registered engineer, engineering technologist in building construction. And as you will soon see, he is an articulate man and an outstanding educator, as well as an outstanding engineer. I can attest firsthand to his ability to teach. I took a heat spring course on integrated HVAC engineering a couple years ago, and it was just awesome. Um, Robert, uh, speaking of educator, he's on the ASHRAE Learning Center faculty. He also serves as a force for good on other ASHRAE committees, um, I would say chief of which is SSPC, which is SSPC's Standing Standard Project Committee 55, and that is the standard on thermal environmental conditions for human occupancy, hence his invitation to speak to us today on thermal comfort. Uh, He's also... As part of SSPC 55 duties, he is the liaison at Standard 62.2, which is, of course, the uh, famous uh, ventilation standard. Again, human factor building design is present. In fact, Robert is the originator of the phrase, so far as I know, and, and um, it's one of the most important phrases I think we can all remember, and it is designed for people, a good building will follow. So let's see, what else? ASHRAE, he is also on Technical Committee 6.1, which is their Hydronic Systems Committee. He's on TC 7.04, which is Exergy Analysis for Sustainable Buildings. Huge, important topic, and we will touch on it today. He's also on ASHRAE, uh, their Residential Buildings Committee. And last but not least, Robert is a true gentleman of our industry, and I'm deeply grateful and honored to call him a colleague and a friend. So, Robert, if you were given the chance to introduce yourself, how would you do that? Okay. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm Robert Bean, and I have spent the last 30-some-odd years 
you know, in the trades and in doing engineering work. And my last 10, 12 years, it's just been really focused on indoor environmental quality and, uh, and people. And it's just sort of discovering that indoor environmental quality is sort of the, it's like the hub of a wheel. And, you know, it's at the crossroads of all these Mm. different studies. And it's just a great it's been a great place to find myself uh, at that crossroads, putting together all of the pieces of the puzzles that I've sort of been working on for the last 30, 40 years. And uh, so that, and that's who I am, Christoph. I'm just this guy that's just studying this stuff. And just it's, loves uh, this it's stuff. been a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I came across this great quote, um, and I have it on my Twitter feed now, um, from Beethoven. And I'm going to paraphrase it because it's to make it more general, uh, gender equivalent. But Beethoven said, don't only practice your art, but force your way into its secrets, for it and knowledge can raise humanity to the divine. (laughs) Isn't that great? Beautiful, yeah. Well, I'm forcing my way into the secrets. Whether I get to the level of divinity, I I don't know, but I'm going to pry open everything I can and find out the secrets of, of this whole world of people and buildings and architecture and physiology and psychology that's what i'm gonna do awesome so we're gonna try to that's awesome and we're gonna go there so just for you guys listening uh, robert and i are going to be trying to constrain ourselves mainly to be talking about thermal comfort today but as you can hear the thermal comfort is one aspect of a much larger topic and it's ieq and in fact you know you've heard me say on this podcast that if you design around people a good building will follow well, now you're going to get to meet the guy who came up with that quote. That's Robert. And uh, I also want to do a quick introduction here, a little bit of housekeeping. We are speaking to Robert through the magic of Skype. He is in Calgary, and I can attest to you that he is not a Cylon. He is fully human. And if you hear little clicks and beeps, uh, <laughs> that's just the internet connection. Um, so without further ado, we're going to introduce the topic here, and I'll, I'll take it from here for a few minutes or a few sentences. So we're talking about thermal comfort, um, but that's general. Um, we're talking actually specifically about thermal comfort for people, for human beings. Uh, most of us are mammals. And we're talking about human, human beings inside homes, right? We're not talking about thermal comfort outside. You know, that's, that's a different matter. We're talking about inside buildings and inside homes. And so I'm going to start with defining homes and buildings, and then we'll let Robert talk about thermal comfort so a building, right? So we know what it is, functionally speaking, from the angle of, from the perspective of thermal comfort, a building is an environmental separator, and it is separating the indoor environment from the outdoor environment, and it is making it such that we can have a shot at c- controlling the conditions in that indoor environment so that we can make it comfortable in a way that people will say, yes, I am comfortable. And um, thermal comfort is one of those simple sentences or simple phrases, thermal comfort, seems like something you could say, oh, that's obvious what it is. Very much like saying, um, oh, this is delicious. Seems obvious, delicious. But if you try to define what delicious is or you try to define what thermal comfort is, it's not so easy. So how would you define it, Robert? You know, I'm going to I'm gonna join the, the sort of the global community of thermal comfort scientists and use the sort of the universal definition and this you know this is kind of and and your point is 
really valid. Like we should be able to roll off the definition of thermal comfort like it's an old Frank Sinatra classic. So now I just ate, I just I just dated myself, right? So but but what what the worldwide community of people that study this topic say is that thermal comfort is a condition of mind. And there's some other stuff that goes along with it, but it's a condition of mind and which means that thermal comfort actually resides inside your head. And because it's your head and not your friend's head, it's a subjective feeling. It's something that we we sense the environment with the with the receptors that we're given. It's a gift, right? These thermal receptors that we have, and that sensation travels, you know, into our brain where it's interpreted at both at a at both a conscious level and a below conscious level. And um, and what's cool about that is that, you know neuroscientists have you know we we map the brain right like we we know now that the brain lights up when it uh, people are talking and when they're feeling pain well they also now know that when people are uncomfortable or comfortable you know the brain lights up in different areas and so really it it's a condition of mind it's it's in your head that's wild and so it you can understand why uh, it's an important topic because it's also something that people expect guys like us to deliver to them. Could you deliver a state of mind to me, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so what's what's really interesting about that, and and you know we've we've been talking about this for a long time now. I mean we've we've we got to know each other just through the world of education, and and we've had fabulous discussions. And one of those discussions is just how an industry that you know has based its entire services and products on comfort really don't know what it is and you know they think that you can throw yeah. a thermostat up on the wall and control it to 68 degrees because that's what the code says and and so if you can do that you know you're going to meet the definition of a comfort and that's just so lame <laughs> it's just you know yeah. it just really doesn't give the respect um, that the human body has for being this beautiful sensor and being able to take that information in and, and process it at a neurological and, and a, a, a chemical level that the, yeah. the, the body does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let, actually let's go with that. Let's go with the human body. So um, what we want to do is we want to achieve in our clients a state of mind that's expressing satisfaction with the surrounding environment. And so the satisfaction is in their bodies. Um, how does the body itself regulate temperature? How does it like to regulate temperature? And yeah, you talk about that. So a little it bit, does please. it. Yeah, so it does it um, in a really elegant way through hormones and uh, and the nervous system. So if we actually start from the you know from the outside and work inwards, you know the you have thermal receptors in your skin and. You literally have, you know, thousands and thousands of them. At one time, I think Dr. Marsh estimated that there was something like 160,000 thermal receptors in your skin. And uh, those aren't, you know, they're not distributed in equal um, amounts around your body. You actually have more sensors in your exposed area, so your head, your hands, your feet. And those receptors, they're not like a thermostat. They're, you know, they're more like a transmitter. They transmit a signal based on changes in temperature that's in the skin uh, through your nervous system up into a part of your brain 
uh, two parts actually, the thalamus and the hypothalamus. And the, the thalamus is kind of like, you know, the air traffic controller for your head. And it just says, okay, we've got this information coming in and we need to direct it. So it directs some of that information to your conscious part of your brain where you have that thought, hey, I'm hot or I'm cold. But at a below conscious level, it's sending that nervous signal to um, also the hypothalamus and the hypothalamus is connected to the pituitary gland which is connected to the thyroid gland and so what happens is it's getting this signal back from the outside world based on the firing rate of the of your receptors and it's taking that and it's also measuring two hormones t3 and t4 hormones which are produced by the thyroid gland and it's measuring those concentrations of T3 and T4 uh, hormones and it's saying you know what I was programmed at birth through DNA that when I'm comfortable when I'm in this place called homeostasis this is the concentration of these two hormones and this is sort of the firing rate and when those things aren't according to the program and the brain the brain says okay well we need to do something and so if we're cold what happens is the hypothalamus sends a chemical handshake to the pituitary gland with a with a hormone and the pituitary gland takes that information and says hey I gotta send a message to the thyroid gland so it sends another hormone another chemical handshake to the thyroid and the thyroid says hey I need to produce some fuel I need to get the body's metabolic rate up so it generates it produces this T3 and T4 hormones and that sort of travels through your whole body system looking for receptor cells that are related to metabolic rate so things like muscles and respiration and digestion so that your body starts to warm up and when your body starts to warm up then the levels of T3 and T4 come back and that they're now sort of back to where you're in a happy place and and that's what happens I like it. So when it's, it's, let's say it needs the body to warm up, is that where goosebumps would come from or shivering? It's muscle contraction there? Yeah. So when you get into those, there's the sort of extreme, right? So when you start to get goosebumps and you start to sweat, like your body has gone, you know, past sort of that middle ground. And we're going to talk about PMV ah, and see. PPD, sort of that, right? And so as you get further and further away from being in that happy place, then you're going to start to shiver and you're going to get muscle contractions and you're going to start to reduce your body surface area. So you're going to huddle um, or you might choose to you know, do jumping jacks or do whatever it is that you can to get your comfort level back. So, yeah, it's, that's what's going on. It's really cool, right? So It's a good thing we don't have to do it consciously. well isn't that the beautiful part about the human body you know you think about this right like if you know for everybody that's listening today like think you know your body maintains a core temperature that's you know constant it's not i mean people get fixed fixated on this 98.6 degrees but the reality is is that it can be you know 97 and a half to you know 90 you know nine degrees it varies depending on whether you're sleeping and what you're doing but you know it's within one or two degrees that the body maintains a constant temperature but outside right like where i'm from in calgary we can go from minus 40 degrees fahrenheit to you know 85 90 degrees fahrenheit so even though the outside world has these huge swings you know inside of us we have this very narrow band that we have to maintain in order to stay healthy so it's really cool how the body and and you know maintains that uh, that constant temperature and and is that is homeostasis as simple as that that you maintain is 
is that the same as saying homeostasis? You maintain this core body temperature, or there's there's a lot more to homeostasis? Yeah, I mean, homeostasis is sort of a general term that says, you know, when everything is inside is at a fairly low stress level, you know, that you're you're in a happy place. And as you move away from being in that homeostatic state, so you're, you know, you're overheating or you're underheating, then, you know, the body starts to respond. And if it can't solve that problem, you know, because it's, we've lost all other solutions to the problem then the stress level goes up and then you're no longer in a homeostatic state and um, and that's actually one of the cool areas of study right now is is looking at homeostasis and then this other term allesthesia I think I pronounced that right ah. okay and, and so that yeah. allesthesia is allesthesia. really about yep. mm-hmm. yeah that's that's sort of looking at you know what are the benefits of testing the body like what happens when we when we move from being in a happy place to not such a happy place to a really bad place and it's kind of like this exercise for your sensory system so for example like if we take an athlete right Mm -hmm. how does an athlete develop balance well they develop by being out of balance and recovering right and Mm -hmm. so the study uh the the study of the tension between homeostasis, where we're in a happy place, and allesthesia, where we're moving in and out, um, is just a—it's just a great field of study right now. Because how far should we test our sensory systems? You know, what's good and what's not—what's not good. Like, where's the stress level where it's a bad stress, and where's the stress level where it's actually can, can be considered exercise for our sensory systems? Mm-hmm. I like it. So satisfaction, so that, that's a long way of saying that the body has all these automatic systems to achieve experiencing satisfaction. And I like the way you said that you can get way out of balance because us, we, got, we doing, us doing um, mechanical designs, if we've ever made our clients sweat or shiver, we're way out of the balance. <laughs> so satisfaction is a much narrower range, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And where and where this is really interesting, Christoph, and everybody else that's listening, is that when you look at the demographics in North America, we have this you know baby boom population that's starting to mature, and of course our generation before that baby boom generation that are now starting to pass away, but we have this really large population that's aging, and the body, and this is one of my current areas of study, is that you know, how does the aging body respond to these environmental stimulants? You know, when you get really cold and you get really hot and how does climate change or changes of consequence, let's put it that way, uh, affect those elderly population or infants, yeah. you know, the sort of the vulnerable population. So when you think about mm-hmm. infants, Immune those that are infirm, yeah, all of mm-hmm. those, you know, that the building can't change, right? I mean, it's a fixed thing. But and the and the mechanical systems, you know, we're typically not going to be changing them. So, but the body is changing, and the outdoor conditions are changing. And so, in between the body and the outdoors is this enclosure. And you know, if that can't change, then something has to happen. And what happens is the elderly person or the infant or the injured, there they get more stressed than say a, a younger person who might be in a really good healthy state. So that's why building enclosures are so important and why we need to first get our buildings fixed, you know, and so we design. Yeah. 
you know, and we use the body, right? I mean, the, when we and this this statement about you know, if you design for people, good buildings will follow, and that's what that's all about. Is that you know, if you design the enclosure to satisfy the the person, you end up with really good buildings and buildings that can deal with climate changes and deal with aging and all of these things that come together. Yeah, and it's and the synergies are there too. It's not just that we do it for health and comfort, but the energy efficiency will come along as a synergy and durability as well. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about buildings, because we're talking about the, the basic definition of thermal comfort being uh, expressing satisfaction with the surrounding environment. And the surrounding environment is the building and the thermal conditions in it, or the psychrometric conditions in it to expand it. So you and I have talked a lot about this thermal flux density as being uh, one of the factors of the building we'd like to see. For our audience, could you define that briefly, thermal flux density? Yeah, thermal flux <laughs> density. So, you know, for, for the lay person, what we're talking about is how many matches need to burn per square foot. Yeah, so what so what you want to do is like so you guys, you know, when you're doing, you know, so you know, Matt comes to you and he says, you know, Christoph, we got this project and we want you to do load calculations. So so your guys and girls in your office and you guys you have smart girls and guys in your office, right? They, they, and they just take these drawings and then they start to crunch the numbers and they do their magic and and you end up with this number like how many BTUs per hour per square foot and we're really talking about how many matches have to be burning on a square foot of floor area. Uh, in order to compensate for the losses of the building. And so when you have a bad building, you're going to have a lot of matches in that square foot. And when you have a good building, you're going to have less matches. And so we define buildings really sort of in four categories. Those that have less than 10 BTUs per hour per square foot or less than 10 matches per hour per square foot. And then between 10 and 20, and then 20 and 30, and then 30 and 40, 30 to 40 and beyond. And so, if you look at you know sort of the tradition or the terrible building, like buildings way back when they used you know newspaper or no insulation in their wall cavities, single pane <laughs> glass, the buildings you know leaked. You know those were a terrible building. They you know the and we're not saying that the that the 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 trade quality was terrible we're just saying the thermal performance was terrible because back then you know they used real wood and real materials and and the trades guys were actually trades people they were very skilled in what they did so we're not talking about the quality of the workmanship or the materials we're talking about how the building performed and then you go from the terrible building to sort of the more uh you know traditional building buildings that were sort of built in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and then we move to the transitional building which is you know buildings that are now sort of in that 10 to 20 range you know the double triple pane glass um not quite passive house standard you know just uh maybe three four air change 50 type of stuff and then you get into the terrific buildings and that and i define the terrific buildings as anything that's less than 10 btus per hour per square foot and so that's when you start to talk about you know passive house and in canada up here the r2000 program and equilibrium and all of these other great houses and when you get into these really low loads you know that's when you start appreciating the role of the enclosure because it it regulates the loss of the 
heat from the body. I mean, that's that's your interface right there. And so a bad building, you know, 40 BTUs per hour per square foot, you know, really just sort of extracts the heat from the body at a rate faster than what it can generate internally. And so that makes you uncomfortable. But these high-performance buildings, they allow you to retain your body heat. And so you can maintain this homeostasis uh, without having to use mechanical or thermal or electrical power, you know, for longer periods of time. And so that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. We could do a whole side discussion just on how important the buildings are. And so one more feature that I think our listeners will know, actually, to wrap up thermal flux density, anyone listening is probably getting a load calculation, which is a peak load calculation. And you can calculate your thermal flux density. Don't let those words intimidate you. It kind of reminds me of, uh, what's that, Bugs Bunny, the uh, the Illudium Q38 space <laughs> modulator. That being has stolen it. Yeah, but so the thermal flux density, like let's say you get um, a manual J for a residential project and you find out that your peak load is 48,000 BTUs an hour, which, which would be four tons in, in cooling mode, and you divide by your square footage. So if it was a 4,000 square foot house and divide 48 by 4,000, you're going to end up with something like 12. I think that's the right math. So that would be right there, right on the between transitional and terrific. Yeah, And so it's a very straightforward calculation that I encourage all you guys listening to be doing it and seeing where you are and keeping track of it. And, and implicit in, in a good building is, all, is also the fact that the air can't leak in from uh, inside to out. Thermal flux is measuring energy flow, so it's measuring heat in all its forms. One of those forms is convective heat transfer. So that means we need an airtight building. Robert, where do you where do you like to see air changes per hour? You know, the codes, by the way, down here are five air changes per hour or less. I assume you want less than five. <laughs> where where, yeah, you know, where do you, you suggest that number be? Uh, if you can if you can get into the sort of the three range, two to three range, that's a nice place to be. Yeah. If you can if you wanna that, be if you wanna be really you know, aggressive, and I mean aggressive in a good way, and you want to start to get down to the passive house standard, you know, 0. 0.6, you know, that's pretty commendable if you can do that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 1.5 is one point five is also really, you know, good. So if you can, if, if you're down in that 1.5 to 0. 0.6 range, you're doing some really phenomenal construction techniques, which is great. And yeah, so it's, great. you know, yeah. But you know, if you can do, if you can get to three to two, you're doing pretty good. And you know, and a lot of it also depends, you know, where you're building. Like if you're building, you know, where I'm from or north of where I'm from, you know, we get down to minus forty, minus fifty degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, all of a sudden, unbelievable. Yeah, that's really cold, right? And so that's a hundred and twenty degrees delta T, a hundred and twenty, more than a hundred degree delta T inside out. That's whoa. Yeah. Yeah, so the enclosure becomes really important, um, and uh, but you know what? This is not magic, right? This is. I mean, we know how to do this stuff. We've been able to do this stuff for you know. I mean, I got out of school in 1983, and back then in Canada we had the R2000 program, and that was all about tightening up the building. And uh, you know, so we've. This is, you know, people today. If you're getting a code-built house, you know, where you're air changes are like 5 ACH 50 or 8 ACH 50 like come on like that's just so that's just so terrible that's in the, that's in the terrible 
traditional category you know we're we're so far beyond that and um yeah know, it is we, kind of shocking that we we as a society don't ask for more with our buildings but that's that's another discussion so a tiny bit more about buildings i can think of two things one is almost ahead of what we just said because it influences this but this is the architectural design it's the big ones you know it's the massing the orientation and the aperture you know how many holes in our enclosure um so windows and shading um that's a very important topic. Um, you know, I think we should just move past it because I want to ask you another one. Interior finishes is something that you've talked to me about. And I think I'd like to just touch on it somewhat briefly, Robert, But because we have, we have more to go to get it back into thermal comfort. But there are aspects of interior finishes that impact thermal comfort. Um, I'm thinking of things like... Yeah, can you think of some? <laughs> yeah, so the interior. I'm. I'm a. If I could have you know an interior designer on every design team. Um, yeah, man. You know the the world would be so much better, and uh, and because interior finishes, um, you know, we have an intimate relationship with these finishes through our sensory systems, and so just to give you an example, when you look at floor coverings. You know the barefoot on a on a carpeted floor and the barefoot on a tile floor and the barefoot on a hardwood floor you know they could all be at the same temperature but because of their conductivity you have a different experience with them and so it's, this is really cool and people can do this online like if you want to do something with your kids is that you know just take a, a piece of steel and a piece of wood and put them in the fridge overnight like do this with your kids just take these two materials put them in the freezer overnight and then in the morning come back and and just hand them to your child and say which one feels colder and they're going to always tell you that the steel feels colder than the wood but the reality is is they're at the same temperature and you can and they're and send the kids are gonna go well that's really cool because you know this one actually feels colder but in fact they've been in the freezer all night they're the same temperature and what's happened is the steel is is very good at extracting energy out of your hand as opposed to the wood and so these floor coverings you know they have an impact on that floor coverings also have an impact in VOC emissions. So, for example, you know, we were t oh. mentioning windows and window performance, right? So, shortwave energy, which is the energy from the sun, high intensity, it travels through the glazing systems depending on their solar heat gain coefficient. And that energy um, hits the flooring materials. Well, some flooring materials are more susceptible to breaking down in the presence of shortwave energy. And so if you use more natural materials like tile, slate, terrazzo, stone, uh, even wood products without finishes on it, they don't break down uh, in the same way that, say, some synthetic materials yeah. do, right? And when you start looking at anything, anything that man has their hand in, in terms of putting stuff together that has to use glues, for example, those glues become you know, the recipient of shortwave energy. And as that temperature rises, they start to lose their structure and they start to outgas. And of course that outgassing in the form of say formaldehydes, you know, becomes a lung irritant. And uh, so the interior designers, they, you know, they're just, they're, they get materials and they get 
things like color and texture and composition. And so if you want a really good indoor environment, you know, they understand natural materials. They understand these types of things. So yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So we're, we're teetering on the edge of transitioning out of thermal comfort into indoor air quality, because you mentioned earlier, hormones are these chemical messengers that regulate thermal comfort. Well, things like these glues that are outgassing into the space or mold mycotoxins, microbial VOCs of many different types, our body erroneously interprets many of those compounds as hormones. I mean, you know that. And so it's this interesting mix where we say, let's put this um, magic material in that's you know cheaper than wood because it's made of compressed trash and glue or something. And, <laughs> and yet it, it, we think... We think with our wallets when it comes to the built environment instead of with our heads and hearts and bodies, pretty much. And, um, I think, go ahead. Uh, if you want to say something, yeah. go. Otherwise, we yeah, can move I, on. You mm -hmm. know, if there's any message that we could leave your audience is that, you know, there is illiteracy in the world of architecture, and that illiteracy starts often with the client and it's putting your faith yes. in people that don't know what they're doing and and but we're, what we're talking about here is we're talking about your health your own personal health and the health of your family we're talking about your cash flow so when we talk about mechanical equipment and operating mechanical equipment every month you're going to get a bill from the utility company and so we're talking about your cash flow we're talking about protecting heirlooms so maybe you receive you know maybe you have a piano or musical instruments or paintings or furniture you know so it, these are these are really important things your health your finances and your assets and so when people go out and they start to hire builders and mechanical designers and tradespeople they forget about these three critical components and that's part of the illiteracy that exists and so what they ought to do is just sit down with their family and say well what is this house mean to us like this is our this is our refuge this is our our privacy this is our you know our place where we you know we raise our family so it has to be an environment that that you know promotes health and it has to be an environment that's not going to penalize us because it's going to cost us so much to maintain these environments and it has to be an environment that allows us to enjoy the things that our forefathers have handed down to us these heirlooms and and assets so it's it's you know we really we need to have educated buyers and when you have educated buyers they put pressure on industry to to smarten up you know to pay attention to these three to these things you guys do it you, you know christoph your company and you know and matt reisinger i mean i can't think of a better partnership in the industry you know in austin texas i mean there's partnerships like that in other parts of the world but in your neck of the woods I mean, Matt gets it, and you guys get it. And when you bring together those those understandings, boy, you're the clients are so lucky to have you. So, yeah. How was that for a plug for you guys? Was that okay? Yeah, in, independent <laughs> of that plug, I think you guys listening can see why I love this guy. But just to go a little bit more on this, because it's very important. One of the things that is also a slight distortion of my market is that I work for homeowners. I do single family homes, typically custom single family homes. And the beauty there is that it is a family and they can make good decisions because multifamily building, many commercial buildings, the owner is a developer who's not going to live there. He's not going to own it for very long, he or she. And so there's misaligned incentives there, right? It's, it, we treat our, the built space in our society as an ATM and 
there, you know, the cost, we don't, we don't appreciate true cost. The healthcare cost, the, the cost of if I'm grumpy because my sinuses are all messed up and then I <laughs> piss off my wife and then I go, you know, got to go through a divorce, right? There's like all these costs that could happen. Yeah, I know. It's, and you know, just, and that's, you, you get the, mm-hmm. you know, the thermostat wars, right? And that's yeah, you know, you the go. fighting that goes over the thermostat. Well, you know, that like, that's like you need marriage counseling just to, to operate your house. And part of that is because you have a bad building and part of it is, is that the, you know, there was no budget for proper controls and, and, and that's type of stuff. But you know, what's interesting, like for example, you know, if you use the the metaphor, the analogy of, you know, a parachute, right? Like we have people building parachutes that never jump out of planes. Right? So in other words, we have people building buildings that never never have to live in the house. So there's there's no incentive. Like they don't, you know, they just, they want to build it. They want to collect the check and then they want to move on to the next project. And they, the people that are inside the house, they have to, they, they're jumping, like they're committed. We're in this, we're in this, right? We paid you to build this house and we have to live in it. And we have to, you know, at some point we have to also sell that house to the next buyer. So we've bought the parachute and we've jumped, but, and, but, you know, the, the community of, of buildings, you know, they're building a lot of parachutes, but none of them know how to jump out of a plane. Like they just don't have to use the very thing that we're relying on. Um, yeah, and that's, that's wrong, good. you know? I- it is. It's wrong. And you guys listening, you know, we've gone across this terrain before and it's worth going over, over and over because you need to feel it in your bones that what we're doing is wrong. But back to where we were. So we were discussing enclosures. The last topic was uh, interior finishes, right? And this means that we want a smart interior designer on every project, one that's that's going to be able to talk about absorptivity, emissivity, conductivity of these materials, their outgassing VOCs, what's in them. We need this on every project. It's, it should not be considered a luxury. And why it's not a luxury is because your body, your parents, your kids, your beloved pets, beloved um, pets yes. they are all having an intimate relationship with interior finishes, uh, whether you know it or not. So, but yeah. let's talk about classic uh, thermal comfort in some sense, right? We're talking about creating a surrounding environment that's going to promote um, a sense of satisfaction or a mental experience of satisfaction. So there are, fortunately for you guys listening that are more quantitative and want just, you know, to know the rules or know the components, there are standards associated with thermal comfort inside buildings. And ASHRAE is an international standards organization and they have their standard 55, uh, which has been most recently updated in 2013. And then there's an IS, an international standard, which I do you remember the number on that, Robert? I'm sure you do. ISO. Yeah, seventy-seven thirty. Okay, and are, are they roughly? Are they lining up? By the way, I've I've never thought to ask that to you. It's fifty-five and seventy-seven thirty. Yeah. So the DNA are they radically of different. Those, no, they're not radically different. Um, the DNA, or the soul of those standards, are are very similar. Um, the European standard has. Probably what differentiates it from the ASHRAE standard is a classification. Um, they have three classes, so you can have, you know, a, a good environment. You can have, you know, a great environment, or you can have like the awesome environment. So, you know, huh. if you're looking is that for, the you know, for European terminology. Uh, <laughs> no, no, they they call it a class A, B, and C. But you know, I, I. Awesome environment is the ta- is is the class A, and that's where you know more restrictive, like less 
fluctuations that are you know, tolerated in the space and um, and a class B and a class C sort of lowers it down so the, it's a nice way of doing it and our committee in, at uh, ASHRAE in, in North America what we call SSPC 55 which is responsible for the standard we're, we've considered the class system in the past and we'll consider it again in the future and you never know we might find it in the future versions of the standard yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get into the thermal comfort factors, but I also want to remind people that, uh, especially you guys working on project teams, and if there's any homeowners or people that are we're about to develop, you know, create their own project for delivering thermal comfort to themselves and their families, that these standards need to, you need to remember that these are international standards that deal primarily with. Um, large bodies of people, right? So they're statistically based and they're saying like, in general, if I create these conditions, most of the people in this space are going to be comfortable. But, you know, there's, there's implicit subjectivity in thermal comfort, right? It's a state of mind. And so we need to remember that these standards are starting points, but that they can be customized for different people. And I really love, Robert, what you're talking about, about the, the aging and the infants, particularly the aging populations that you know, standard 55, I could imagine an addendum one day that talks about that. Like, if you go beyond a certain age, which how would you, maybe not age, you know, metabolic rate or internal functioning. Anyway, I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, I mean. You you get where I'm going. Yeah, it's. It's it's just a. Yeah, I do. I mean, the standards now, they really sort of target sort of, you know, the healthy young person well not as a young but just a healthy healthy adult and and uh, they don't there you go. address the uh, you know the other uh, sort of the more vulnerable populations that's not to say there's no body of knowledge in that there is it's just that we haven't been able to you know synthesize it into a document or as an addendum to the existing ones but I think I, I agree with you Christoph that at some point in the future that we'll see these documents include these other populations and uh, and and I th- you know when it's this is important stuff um, and, th- and the standards you know they 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 allow you that flexibility so yeah okay they're written for you know a certain population but that doesn't mean that we ignore the elderly or the infants we recognize that they have you know more important needs i would say than the than the average person and that uh, we can apply the standards to them yeah yeah even the so ergonomics you, of the control systems uh-huh, go ahead yeah that's a really that's a great topic we could spend you know talking about you know being the hub and and all of the spokes coming into control ergonomics is one of them right i mean when you get older you lose your you know your visual acuity your manual dexterity your cognitive abilities and so the last thing that we want to do in these spaces is has really sophisticated complicated controls you know we want things that you know, large dials, backlit, very simple. Um, and even myself, I mean, I, as, as a technician, I, you know, I've been up the technology ladder and down and I just, I laugh when I hear people talk about the internet of things, you know, like the internet of things is going to solve these problems. And that's just not the case at all. I mean, when we have, you know, wired devices, but those devices are so complex and, and, uh, you know, and the people can't use them. Well, it doesn't matter how zippy they are. They're still just trash in my, in my book. I could imagine, uh, you wear something that's monitoring your, 
state of comfort or your metabolic rate and it's just automatically communicating with your control system just because we can do stuff like you know we and we when we see people doing that where you know because the technology is available they they gravitate to it like fish going after a shiny lure and they you know they basically toss aside all the things that you and i have been talking about like you know let's first get the building fixed right like and that's first and then focus on interior finishes and, and appreciate the intimate relationship that people have with the finishes and the enclosure we do all of that before we start talking about the internet of things right yeah, absolutely absolutely but, we need but to we come back right? to reality we, but we we as a culture we love product based solutions because someone can profit on selling you that product to solve your problem whereas with the buildings it's a process and we're kind of confounded about how to profitably shift our process um yeah yeah so well, you know in the sta- uh-huh. in the ashray standard you know like there's 10 metrics right well none of them none of the metrics in the standard relate to profit <laughs> yeah right there you go. so let's talk about this it's all- let's talk about the 10, yeah. the 10 thermal sorry if you want to finish that thought go for it yeah, no, I, that's, let's talk about those 10 things because they they really, you know, that's the, that's the body of knowledge that, that has um, sort of evolved, you know, is based on these sort of 10 factors that sit inside the standard and profit isn't one of them. But, uh, there, you know, <laughs> there's... <laughs> okay, everybody, I'm a little bit reluctant to do this, but we do need to split this episode at some point because this conversation has a lot more to go. So what we're going to do is uh, start the cliffhanger right here, Ta-da. and we're going to get into the 10 quantitative metrics associated with thermal comfort for putting humans inside spaces next time. I look forward to uh, being with you then. This episode is brought to you by our dear friends and colleagues over at Risinger Homes. They're an Austin-based, full-service luxury home builder and remodeler, and we've worked with them on many occasions. And Risinger Homes really is a different kind of firm. First, they're focused on building science, which we think is incredibly important. And I encourage you to check out the YouTube channel of their owner, Matt Reisinger. It's at youtube.com backslash user backslash Matt Reisinger. Be sure to subscribe. And secondly, we've seen time and time again how much architects really appreciate the seamless experience of working with a builder who has an in-house architect slash builder. Reisinger Homes has exactly that person. His name's Eric Rouser. So architects, call Risinger Homes early in the design phase of your projects so we can team up with you and your client to build a great home.